And so let's jump in. We are week two of a series we're calling The God Book. And so last week, just a little bit of a recap, we uh, jumped straight in. And so the goal of last week was how do we get the Word of God from here to our hearts? Our old pastor used to say a lot of folks are going to miss heaven by 15 inches, right? They got it here, but they don't have it here. And so how do we get it from here to here? Well, we, we talked about four things that we can do to, to almost take the, the Word of God and almost like it's a crock pot, right? It's something that the, the more that we meditate on it, the more that we listen to it, the more that we study it, learn it, and the more that we live it, we're going to end up loving it. And David wrote, there's multiple times in the book of Psalms, David wrote about how much he loved the law of God. Psalm 1 is one of them. He says, you know, blessed is the man that meditates on the, on the law of God. And, and he's like a tree planted by the river. It's not going to be moved. It has all the nutrients it needs. It's taken care of. And, and so we talked about how powerful the word is and how do we get it inside of us. And, and so we gave away Bibles. We still have Bibles. If you don't have a hard copy of the Bible, please take one. Uh, I'd love to buy more. Um, and so I think we gave away 40 or so last week. And take a Bible with you. And then today, I've got a, another book to give you by a guy named R.C. Sproul. And so R.C. Sproul, he studied what's called apologetics. And I did not. All right, so I want to make that really clear as we jump into this. I'm transferring information to you today. I, I did not go to school and get a, an apologetics degree. That basically means that's somebody who um, defends the Bible. They, they make that their, their life work. And R.C. Sproul did that. You might have heard him on the radio or on TV. But the book, I'm taking his book title. I'm going to use it as my title this morning, is Can I Trust the Bible? That's a big question right now, isn't it? Can I trust anything, right? I mean, it's pretty wild. Uh, last year, or two years ago, I was in a, a roundtable group with a guy that owned a few newspapers, and he, he, um, he ran the one here, one of the local papers here for a while, and um, he was running this roundtable uh, group, and I, we were able to ask questions. And I asked him, I said, where do you go to get, like, unbiased news, right? Like, where do you go to get just facts, not facts that are spun in somebody's, you know, in a certain direction or someone's opinion. And he says, I don't know if it exists. And I feel like in today's, we're, we're, we have so much information that comes to us every day. And it's incredible to me how you can take one topic, and I was kind of struggling on what to talk about. But you could take one topic, for instance, the Russia-Ukraine deal that's going on right now. You've probably seen that in the news, right? Depending on where you read about that or hear it presented, it's spun in a hundred different ways. I've never been to Russia. Don't really know much about Ukraine. But depending on what I read, at some, I mean, I was a couple nights ago, I thought we were about to go into nuclear war. Like, I didn't know what was going on. And then, and then I read another article, and it was like, just leave Russia alone. You know, what, what, what it was, and so it's, it's, it's facts, but they're spun. For instance, like the Washington Post, I don't read it, but you're never going to see a smear article about Amazon or Jeff Bezos in the Washington Post. You know why? Because he owns it. And so when you start looking at these news outlets and how they present information and you back into who owns these organizations, you're going to find that they're not really presenting facts. They're presenting facts and they're spun with their opinion. And so I'm trying to help my son understand this right now. He's five years old. 
and he believes everything he reads is real. And there's a lot of adults that way right now. Like, they, like, like we just we read it, or it's because it was published or in print, we believe that it's that it's true. And so I think we have like three categories of information. We've got opinion, we've got facts, and then we have truth. And we're finding that facts can be presented by people's opinions and bent in one way or the other. But that's not how the Bible was written. And we're going to see that today. And that's one thing I want you to, to really keep, get deep down inside of you. That, that, uh, that the Bible has over, over 40 authors. And when they sat down to write, they were not writing their opinion on what they were seeing. They were, they, were, they, were being, they were given a, a, an inspiration from God. It was almost like it didn't come to them. It came through them. And that's what separates this book. That's why it stood the test of time. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17 is going to be our, our text this morning. And I want to have a stand again for the reading of God's word. I've got 20 minutes, so I'm going to, let's get through this. But this is, this is good here. Verse 16, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All scripture, somebody say all. All scripture is God breathed and is useful for what? Teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And the church said, Amen. Amen. You can be seated. And so all of scripture is God breathed. So in the Greek, that's, that's two different words, theo and neo, right? And it means God and it means breath. That this book right here was literally inspired and, and, and it, it, it's, the, it's the very words of God. And then we see though that, okay, well, if it's God's word, then why did man write it? And that's typically the biggest argument against the Bible right now, that, it, that there's no way that this book has been passed down for thousands of years and it wasn't bent like the news is. It wasn't, there, there's not a spin on it. That when, when, some, when the, one of the, like the, the writer of the book of Jonah or the writer of the book of Acts or Hebrews, when Paul was writing these letters in prison, surely his opinion got mixed into it somewhere. But that word God breathe, that is, it's, it's, again, it's, it's one Greek word from two different Greek words. It means the breath of God. And the best illustration I could think of is a sailboat. Have you ever, anybody in here sail? I know a few of y'all do. And so you've got the captain of the boat. He's holding the wheel, right? You had, you've got the writers of the Bible. They're holding the pen. But it's the wind that inspires the boat. The boat goes nowhere without the wind. It's the, the wind is inspired. The sails are inspired. And then when it comes to this book, even though man was holding the pen, we know that God is the author. And so it's, it's, I want to just give you just very quickly seven things that I believe tell us why we can trust the Bible. Because there's a big difference in knowing the Bible and trusting the Bible. Amen. Because a lot of people know the Bible, and I think, you know, if you grew up in the United States, you've heard, you know the Bible. You sing it during Christmas, the Christmas carols. It may have been sitting on Grandma's table, right? The big, you remember those big old family Bibles? Bring that bad boy to church. Knock somebody out with that thing. You know what I'm saying? I used to tell teenagers, when you're in the car, I used to tell teenagers this. 
Put the, put the Bible between you and, and uh, your boyfriend, specifically girls. Put the, put the Bible between you and your, and, and your boyfriend. If, if, they, if they crawl over Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, give them the ax. You know? <laughs> but, but so we grew up in the Bibles. Are, there's Bibles everywhere. There's scripture everywhere. I mean, and, and you probably know there's a lot of songs that have scripture in them that are, that are not, you know, they're not worship songs. So the Bible is a part of the fabric of our country, thankfully. And so if you grew up in the United States, more than likely you, you know the Bible, but, but, but can we trust it? Like, like, can I live my life based on this book? You know, how, how do I get my marching orders for what I'm going to do? When I have a decision, when I have to make a, a big decision at work or in my family or with what I'm facing, a health decision, like, like how, how do I make the big decisions in life? And I'm so thankful that God gave us this book. And I'm so thankful that, that what we have here, the 66 books, have been so carefully handed down over, over thousands of years that, that the book, that this Bible is, is so precious. And, and sometimes we, we don't realize that. Even I didn't realize that. And, and again, I, I don't know much apologetics. I, I don't have a degree in the defense of the Bible. And so I'm borrowing a lot of this. And if you want to go deeper, grab this book on your way out. But I believe the first reason, I want to give you seven, the first reason that we can trust the Bible is it's historically precise. It's amazing how this, you know, one of the arguments I hear quite a bit about the Bible is I just can't believe the Bible because there's so many things in there that are impossible. Right? Did God really pause the sun? Did the sun stand still? Did the Red Sea part and the children of Israel come through on dry ground? Did Jonah really get eaten by a fish or a whale, one or the other? I, I, I mean, did, did, did the dead really get raised? Do people, did, did they really receive their sight? Was Jesus going around healing the sick and raising the dead? That's just unbelievable. It's impossible. And I tell them it, it is impossible. <laughs> and that's exactly why you should believe this book. Because we're finding that these events that happen, you know, one of the things I hear a lot, and this is being taught in most universities and in a lot of Bible colleges, that this is just a bunch of good inspirational writings, but they're stories. They're not real. They're, they're metaphors. The Red Sea is a metaphor. Jonah got swallowed by the fish. It's a, it's a metaphor. He locked himself in the closet. That's what he did. You know, like it, like it's, a, it's a metaphor. It's, it's not realistic that these events didn't really happen. And you may believe that today, and that's okay. But I think you're short-circuiting your faith journey if that's what you believe. I heard a story about a young girl that wrote a paper on Jonah. She turned it in to, the, to her teacher, and her teacher was an atheist. And she gave her the paperback, and she says, you know that that, that didn't really happen, right? Jonah wasn't swallowed by a fish. It's impossible. There, you know, the fish... Whale's throats are too small, you know, and, and there's no way that Jonah could have been swallowed by a fish. And she, she argued, her teacher was an atheist. She argued with her teacher. She said, I don't believe that. I believe it really happened. And she said, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask Jonah myself. And the teacher says, well, what if he's in hell? And she said, well, then you ask him. <laughs> <laughs> but the Bible, y'all, <laughs> it's historically precise <laughs> every history class you've taken there's three things that have to happen when a story makes it into a history book the first thing is this there's got to be eyewitness accounts we know that 
We know that the writers of these books were not writing second and third hand information. We, we know that they were writing what they seen. The second thing is it's got to be recorded and copied with extreme care. The Bible was recorded and copied with the utmost care. God really tasked that to the Jewish people. And so a practicing Jew, they don't, their Bible is not 66 books, it's five. And they know it as the Torah. It's the first five books of the Bible. And so in order to become a, a, a Pharisee, which is basically a master of the law, this is how they would test. They would take the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, and they would put a nail through it. Take the nail out, and you would have to recognize and know every single word that was missing. So that's the kind of care that went into the, passing this book down from age to age. And it's amazing, I didn't know any of this, how much scrutiny and how careful they were when, when converting this Bible from the original language to what we read today. And so if the original language, if we had the, you know, the, the, the parchment that it was written on, the parchment that Paul would write on, it would be in Greek. And so, so what we have is, is like a third version, right? We have the original document, which, which you know, I, that's, those are hard to find. But then we have translations of the original documents. And then we have what we're reading in our language. But when they interpreted the Bible and when they translated the Bible, they took it to another step. They didn't just translate words, they translated every letter. And they would go back and they would lay it over the original copy. And if there was a letter missing, they did it again. And so it's incredible the accuracy on this book. The third thing, how, how it's historically precise, is, is there has to be archaeological, archaeological, <laughs> told you all, I'm just a you know, hillbilly from Baghdad, Florida. Okay, y'all bear with me. I've been nervous about this all week because this is like a, it's, there's got to be evidence. And what's amazing is the last 50 years, they found more evidence of stories in the Bible than they have in the last 1,000. This summer, we did a series called Seven Ships, and we looked at seven different boat stories in the Bible. And one of the last ones we did was Paul when he was shipwrecked on the Isle of Patmos. In 2019, they literally found, he describes the anchors of the ship, and he describes the boat in detail. They found the boat. Like, like just a few years ago, they found the three anchors. They, they put out multiple anchors. They hit a storm, and it says the boat was shipwrecked, shipwrecked. It's amazing to me how you can look, and there's evidence now of the flood. There's evidence of every civilization that has existed in the Old Testament. All the Ittites, Right? The Philistines, the Jebusites, the, Hitt the Hittites, the, the Antbites, like there's all these different civilizations. I don't know them all. There's a lot of them. Di different, different civilizations that existed in Old Testament times. There's archaeological research and confirmation of all of them. And so it's not just stories. The second reason why I believe we can trust the Bible is not only is it historically precise, it's scientifically precise. Science right now is trying to keep up with the Bible. There are things that we didn't know were possible a hundred years ago that the Bible was clear about, and it's just now catching up. Just a few things. If you go, I mean, some of y'all, if you go back and read like your third grade science book and just see how, look at how it's changed in the last two years. They put out new information, it seems like every month. 
of, of, of different medical science. And this was right, but now we know it's wrong. And science is supposed to evolve. This book does not. It's truth. It's not transforming. It's not evolving. It's truth. It's solid. Just a few scientific things that just, just 600 years ago, we believed there was a, a large portion of the planet believed the earth was flat. I have people in my life right now that believe, y'all, that the earth is flat, right? When they were discovering the new world, they were scared to death that they were going to fall off the edge of the planet. In the Bible, the book of Job is the oldest book of the Bible, and, and, but Isaiah, I'm going to give it to you out of Isaiah, it reads like this, God sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. That, that word circle means sphere or globe. And so the Bible was clear about it, that, the, that this earth is not, it's not flat, it's a, it's a globe. Or how about the second thing, just, just a few, I mean, several hundred years ago, and you can research this in Greek mythology, you can research this, um, that they, they believe that the earth was held up, the Greeks believed it was held up by a guy named Atlas. Have you seen the, the, the so it was on his back, y'all, and he's carrying around the earth. Hindus today believe that the globe's on the back of an elephant, that's on the back of a turtle, that's on the back of a snake. I'm serious. But then Job said this, the oldest book in the Bible, uh, chapter 26, verse 7, he spreads out the northern skies over empty space. He suspends the earth over nothing. So the Bible knew that. The Bible knew that the earth's not held up by a turtle or on the back of some guy named Atlas. It's pretty amazing to me. Again, this is, he's known as the father of astronomy, William Herschel. And back in the early 1800s, 1802 to be specific, he counted 2,500 objects in the sky. He believed he counted every star and planet. There's 2,500. The next year he came back and said, hang on, it's, it's 5,000. I, I, fa I found some more. And so if you Google that or ask Siri, or ask whoever you're asking these days, hey Alexa, how many stars are there? I just did it last night, yesterday. There's 200 billion trillion stars. That's not new, right? Listen to this in Jeremiah. The stars of the sky cannot be counted. One theory I heard is that when God said, let there be light, thousands of years ago, light is still being created if we can catch up with it. The new telescope that they just put into space, which I'm pretty excited about, that's going to see farther than any telescope's ever seen, they're going to be able to see like, what, like 50, 100 years like into, into the past. It's incredible. But God knew this. And we see it in this book, so it's, it's scientifically proved. And here's, here's the last one. Our first president, you know how he died, George Washington? They believed while he was alive that... Blood, too much blood in your body would make you sick. So they did what was called bloodletting. They would literally cut you and bleed you. And that's how our first president died. And, and medical science, you can look up in the medical books. They believe that was part of what they would do. If somebody was getting sick and not getting better, they would, they would draw blood from them. But look at what this says in Leviticus 17, verse 11. The life of the body is in his blood. <laughs> and so the Bible is, is, I could give you a dozen more. 
but the, it's scientifically precise. The third one, and this is probably my favorite. I gotta grow. I gotta hurry, y'all. It's prophetically precise. Pro, uh, the word prophetic or the word prophecy just means prediction. And so the Bible has a lot to say about the future. And so just in the Old Testament, there's a thousand prophecies that have been fulfilled alone. 300 of them were about Jesus. Like, and not just general, like, oh, he's going he's gonna to have brown hair or, or he's, you know, he's going to, like, like where he would be born, what he would do, how his ministry would be, you know, what his ministry would be built to, so much about his ministry, uh, that, that he, would, he would perform miracles, that he would ride on a donkey, right, during Easter as he came back into Jerusalem. All of these prophecies about Jesus, and they were written hundreds of years, four, five, six hundred years before he ever made his debut on the planet. Three hundred but let's go even further because there's more. There's prophecies in the Bible that have, have not been fulfilled yet. The book of Revelation is one of those books, right? It's kind of intimidating. Uh, the man cave or, or a Bible study that we have, one of the groups that, that is, is an awesome group that our, our church is able to, to be a part of. And they studied the book of Revelation. And the book of Revelation is mostly prophecy. And so we know that this book has not been wronged so far, and there's things that haven't happened yet. And not to scare us, but just to confirm that this book is true. And we read the book of Revelation, and it talks about a one-world government. How close are we to that? It talks about not being able to buy or sell without some kind of mark. How close are we to that? It talks about how there's going to be an event that's going to happen, and two witnesses are going to be on the corners of the earth, and they're going to be killed and resurrected, and the whole world's going to see them. How is that possible when the book of Revelation was written? Now we have Starlink, and you can put a satellite on your boat in the middle of, Pacific, of the Pacific Ocean and have high-speed internet. And so the, the book, this Bible, is prophetically precise. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21 says, For prophecy never had its origin in the human will. But prophets, though human, they spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Matthew 26, verse 56, But this is all happening to fulfill the words of the prophets as recorded in Scripture. The last chapter of the last book, Revelation 22, says this, That the angel said to me, These words are trustworthy, and they are true. The Lord, the God who inspired the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants that the things must soon, these things must soon take place. It's prophetically precise. You want to know what's coming? Read this book. And it's not to be intimidated, it's not to be scared, but it's to confirm your faith. It's so that it's because we're not walking around in the dark, just scared, not knowing what's coming. It, it, it's, it says when we have this hope in us, prophecy, I believe, it sobers us up. It makes us realize that we're heading somewhere and that God has a plan for this planet. And he has a plan for your life. And he does know your future. He sees the end from the beginning. He sees your life like a timeline. He sees this world as a timeline. And he looks down from eternity and he sees this timeline being fulfilled. And if we could go back 6,000 years, guess who's going to be there? God. And if somebody invents a time machine, great Scott, and we can go forward another 1,000 years, guess who's going to be there? He sees it. And we have access to this book 
that's been recorded and we can know things about the future, about your future. It's beautiful. The fourth thing while we can trust the Bible, and I've really got to hurry, is it's written in perfect harmony. One of the first classes I took at when I, the little bit of college that I went to, it was world religion. And my professor was a Muslim. And she had a, the Quran on her desk, and she loved to talk about the Quran, and she loved to talk about how inaccurate the Bible was. But I want to show you this. There's not a sacred text of any world religion that was written by more than one person. The Quran was written by Muhammad, one person. And did you know he couldn't read or write? Literally, all the visions that are in the Quran were recorded by other people. He couldn't read or write. The sacred writings of Buddha, one guy wrote it, Buddha. Confucius, in their writings, one guy wrote it. The Bible has 40 authors spread out through 1,600 years. And these were poets and prophets and princes and kings and sailors and soldiers and tax collectors and businessmen. These were not scholars. They were just normal, ordinary people. And it all comes together in one beautiful story. Just the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four stories that we have written of Jesus by four different men written in four different times with four different backgrounds, and they all line up in perfect harmony. One of my favorite books that I have in my library is called The Harmony of the Gospels, and it takes, there's, you know, you'll notice as you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there's the same story in multiple Gospels. And none of them contradict themselves. It's amazing the harmony of this book. But not only that, every writer from Genesis, every book from the beginning to the end, all pointed to one person. Before he ever existed, Genesis foretells about one person that was going to put right his head, his heel on the serpent's head. And we read the book of Revelation, it talks about a person that's going to come back in the clouds, shining like the sun, written upon his garment as king of kings and lord of lords. He's got a sword coming out of his mouth. All written about one person. Luke chapter 24, verse 27. And it's, Jesus says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. It's amazing. The fifth thing, why can we trust the Bible? Because it was trusted by Jesus. Now, it doesn't seem like a big deal, but I think it's a big deal. How did Jesus live a perfect, sinless life? How did he come and fulfill the heart of God and show us that God is personable, that God loves us? That I mean, you know, one of the best pieces of advice I've ever been given when it comes to theology and scripture, because I don't know a lot of it, is that you don't have to know this whole Bible, but if you know Jesus, you're going to know this Bible. Because he's the Word made flesh. He was this book walking around. And when he was tempted by the, by the enemy in Matthew 4, what did he use to defend himself? He used Scripture. Fifty different times he quotes from the Old Testament. Twenty-seven different books. Jesus trusted the Bible. He says this in Matthew chapter 5, For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter, 
Not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Jesus trusted this book. He quoted this book. He was this book. The sixth reason, and we're, we're, we're laying in the plane, how can, why should I trust the Bible? I don't think there's a book on the planet that's been more attacked than this Bible. You don't see the Koran being attacked. You don't see other religious texts being coming under scrutiny. But this book right here constantly is under attack. Constantly it's held under a microscope. I think that's why 1 Peter chapter 1 says this, that the grass withers and the flowers will fade, but the word of the, of the Lord will endure forever. It survived every single attack. It's incredible. And here's the last one, and, I wanted, and this is one that you can actually put to the test yourself. It's historically accurate. It's scientifically precise. It's prophetically precise. Jesus trusted it. The Bible interprets the Bible. It's in perfect harmony. It's amazing how you can get 40 authors over 1,600 years, 66 books to all complete and be in harmony. But this is the greatest reason I would say that we can put our trust in the Bible. Because I've read Shakespeare. I like them. Pretty amazing, beautiful writings. I have favorite authors. I like John Eldridge. I like Mark Batterson. Paradise Lost, right? Some of the classics. Great books. But none of those books have the power to change your life. None of those books claim that if you memorize it, if you meditate on it, if you love it, if you listen to it, if you learn it, that as it gets inside of you, your life begins to change. In the Bible is the only book that when you read it every single time the author is present think about that you're not going to hear from Shakespeare y'all he's going right I'm probably not going to hear from John Eldridge I've, writ I've written some letters tried to get him to come and speak here he doesn't speak much Mark Batter I, mean, I can tell you all these great authors that I really love but they're not present when I'm reading their book I've met John Maxwell one time. He's another one of my favorite authors, right? Love John Maxwell, but he's not going to show up in my living room when I start reading the 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership, right? But when you open this book and you begin to read it, the Holy Spirit is in that room with you. And I've heard it said that this is the map and the Holy Spirit is a compass, and when we open this book, he, he navigates us to where we need to go. He gives us what we need. When we're discouraged, it's like medicine for our soul. When we couple that, the Holy Spirit, and we invite him into, and it's more than just Bible roulette, just open it up and reading, but, but, but open it up and say, Lord, show me what do I need today. I'm discouraged. I mean, I got some stuff going on, and I really need some, I need some encouragement. Every time we open this book, God shows up. And Jesus said it like this in John 8, and we're going to pray. If you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciple. And this is what's going to begin to happen in your life. You're going to open this book, 
and you're going to know the truth. And the truth is going to set you free. And there's a lot of people looking for truth these days. It's hard to find. There's a lot of people that, that need truth in their life. I think the greatest pursuit that we can give ourselves to is the pursuit of truth. In Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis writes about this. And he writes about how people are chasing comfort. And he says, don't chase comfort because you'll never find it. He says, but if you chase truth, if you can find truth, if you can grab a hold of truth, if you can know truth, your life will be comforted. Because these words right here are true and holy and you can hang your hat on them. You can live your life by them. And so if you need comfort this morning, maybe you have been praying for that. I want to challenge you. Look for truth. Ask God to reveal things in your life. We talked about that last week, that this book, is a, it's a mirror. When we read it, it reads us. And when we look into it, it, it shows us things in our life that maybe we didn't see. It, it reveals things in our soul that maybe we, we didn't see. And when we work the Word of God, the Word of God will begin to work in our life. But we got to put it to use. we got to get in it. We've got to love it, right? We've got to learn it. We've got to cherish it. And I just want to encourage you, seek truth. Read this book. I don't think there's a greater way that you can live your life. And I've tried several. <laughs> I really believe that this book has answers, practical answers and answers for the big stuff. So this is what I want us to do. I want you just to bow your heads. We're going to pray this morning. Father, we thank you so much for the truth that's in your word, God. We thank you that your word is a mirror, that we really see our true selves when we look into it. David said that it's a lamp to our feet. It's a light to our path, and we don't know what the next step needs to be in our life, that your word will illuminate it for us. So, Lord, I just thank you that you're present in this room right now. God, we've read your word. God, we've read several verses in this book. But greater than this book, Lord, is knowing that you're with us, that you're by our side, that when we go through trials in our life, that we have more than a book to comfort us, we have more than words on a page to comfort us. That when we, we read this book, you show up. And so I just pray that over every person in this room this morning, no matter what they're facing in their life. God, that you would show up in the pain. You would show up in the uncertainty. somebody came in here with some big questions Lord that you would even show up in the questioning we thank you Lord that you're a friend that sticks closer than a brother and that you've given us more than your word you've given us your presence and so Lord help us to remind us every day that we're not alone God remind us every day that we're walking with you that we came from somewhere and we're heading to that place again that you do have a plan for our life, even in the mess that we might find ourselves in, 
even in the problems, even in the struggles. And Lord, we just give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen.